Hi, everybody. Welcome. Welcome to worship. Welcome to Schweitzer today. It is really good to be with you wherever you're at. We're privileged to worship with you today. I'm Jim, and I serve as a pastor and a host for our experience together. If you're a guest with us, thanks for being here. We're really thankful to be able to worship with you, and we have a gift for you. Check in with us, and we'll send a Starbucks digital gift card out to you right away. Enjoy some brew on us. Today, we're looking forward to continuing. It's the second week of our series, God Our Refuge. Pastor Spencer will lead us through the scripture. Psalm 46, 11 verses, but they are so meaningful, uh, so impact our lives and reveal God's character, which is good and trustworthy. So look forward to this. God has a message for us all. Also, if you'd like to go deeper into the message, we have a link, schweitzer.church next. There are sermon discussion questions there and so much more, more ways to connect. So we really encourage you to, uh, to do that as well. And now let's, uh, let's hear from Stephanie. Stephanie, who always keeps us connected and tells us what's going on here at Schweitzer. Hi, I'm Stephanie. Happy May Day. This month, our second season ministry is hosting a really fun Cinco de Mayo celebration on Thursday, May 5th at 1130 a.m. Wear your best hat as we enjoy some terrific food and hear from Garen Ferguson, CEO of Mexican Villa, as he shares about how his family has served in our community for lots and lots of years. You can sign up online at schweitzer.church next or at the blue booth in the lobby today. If you've been attending Schweitzer and are interested in becoming a member, we have a great opportunity for you. Two weeks from now on May 15th, we'll be having New Member Sunday where we'll be celebrating all those Schweitzer friends who are making this next step. If you'd like to learn more about this process and have your questions answered about what's involved in becoming a member, talk with Sheila Pippin today. The deadline to sign up for our churchwide camping and canoe trip is coming up on May 15th. If you want to join us around the campfire for a great weekend outdoors, this is a perfect opportunity for all individuals and families. You can find out more and get all the details at schweitzer.church outdoors. On Sunday, May 22nd, between our services, we'll be celebrating the retirement of Pastor Jim Mason, our COO Mary Decker, and Grow to Know Preschool Director Jane Rebke. This will be a fantastic time together as we celebrate these three individuals who have made such a difference at Schweitzer. We are so grateful that you've chosen to be here this morning. Let's continue with worship. Thanks so much, Stephanie. We really appreciate you. If you're worshiping with us live today, we invite you to engage. There's a chat feature on your screen. Uh, tell us uh, what you're thinking today. Any questions you have, say hi to your friends. Uh, enjoy yourself uh, in the chat room today. Also, if you'd like to receive prayer, we have people available to pray with you. So hit the prayer button. And again, we'd be privileged to pray with you and receive the gift of prayer. Uh, so know that is available to you. And now on this day that God has given us, this beautiful day of worship, let's enjoy each other. Let's celebrate God. Let's worship together.
It is good to pray together. Today, as we pray, I invite us to join God in what God is doing in the world, God's purposes. God is active, involved in all aspects of the world He loves and our lives. So let's, let's simply uh, join God in what God is doing as we uh, pray together. So let's, let's pray and then we'll have some silent time where we can bring our petitions uh, to God. So let's pray together. 
Holy God, kind, kind Father, we thank you that you are pursuing us, seeking us, and that you desire a good for your world and for us. And so we, we will trust you, we will open ourselves to you. Uh, we know that uh, even in the mystery that you are, and that we don't have to know everything. So God, help us to, to free ourselves of trying to be certain about everything, to know everything, that we can lean into your good mystery and just trust you that you're working things out in our lives in this world for your good purposes and that we are uh, privileged. We thank you, God, that you would use us, uh, see us worthy uh, to be in ministry. Uh, with you, uh, joining you, because God, you are holy and uh, first in our lives. And so as we, uh, as we pray together today, uh, let's now have a time of silence where we can lift our petitions to God and again, seek to cooperate with the Holy Spirit. Uh, Lord, we do trust you and we cooperate with you. Let's, uh, let's pray in silence. Jesus, we thank you that you are good and trustworthy and that you are with us and for us now and always. And now we, we pray together, uh, Lord, the prayer you taught us, we pray in humility, but yet with confidence because of who you are. Again, the prayer you taught us in saying, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. As we come to this time of offering, we thank God really thank God for God's generosity, God's care and providing in our lives. And we respond with faith and trust and obedience and giving back to God. Again, out of all that God provides to us, what a privilege it is to give back to God and the world that God loves so very much. It's really impacting lives here at Schweitzer, a Christ-focused church, and especially across the generations. For example, this past Sunday evening, we gathered to worship with our students who, many of them, about 30, affirmed their faith, professed their faith. About 15 were baptized and really committed their lives to Christ and Christ's church, the hope of the world. And so it was a beautiful event with students and families and friends as we celebrated God, celebrated each other. But your generosity helps not only uh, sustain but really grow these ministries. So thanks so much for your generosity. It really matters. And we can continue to give each week, uh, each week by going to the link schweitzer.church slash give. It's easy, uh, it's, it's uh, just a really good way to give. And so we appreciate you doing this, being generous. And now, uh, Pastor Spencer will lead us in week two, week two of this series, God Our Refuge. 
Well, friends, welcome today. My name is Spencer, and today is going to be part two of our series called God is Our Refuge. We're spending five weeks exploring one psalm. It's Psalm 46. It's not very long. It's only 11 verses, but we're going to dive deep into the psalm as we explore these, these ways that God is trustworthy and good and how we can trust him with our entire lives. So let's jump into this today. Here's Psalm 46. It's 11 verses. Here's how it goes. It says, God is our refuge and strength an ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place where the Most High dwells. God is within her. She will not fall. God will help her at break of day. Nations are in uproar, kingdoms fall. He lifts his voice, the earth melts. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come and see what the Lord has done, the desolations he has brought on the earth. He makes war cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the shields with fire. He says, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. That's Psalm 46. It's so good, so deep, so rich, so encouraging. And so we're spending these five weeks exploring this psalm. Now, last week I gave you a challenge and I challenged you. Let's let's memorize these 11 verses over the next five weeks. I mean, when was the last time you memorized scripture? Maybe for some of us when we were kids in Sunday school or maybe others of us maybe maybe never, but it's such a good practice to memorize scripture. The Bible teaches us that we need to hide God's word in our hearts. And how do we do that? Well, one of the ways is we we memorize it. So let's spend some time memorizing these verses as we go through this series. Now, normally when we go through a series, we tend to do it kind of line by line, work through it thought by thought as we go through this. But as we do this series, we're not looking at it line by line so much as we are looking at just five big ideas that this psalm teaches us about how to trust God with the details of our life. And so today we're going to look at a really simple point. We see this expressed in Psalm 46. And we're going to see uh, here today how Psalm 46 teaches us the simple truth that God rules the world, that God rules the world. Now, theologically, we call this idea sovereignty, that God is sovereign over the world. Like, just like a king is sovereign over his kingdom, God is sovereign over the world. He's sovereign over the universe. God is sovereign. His will is done. And so this is what what we affirm. Now, we see this expressed in Psalm 46 in several places. For instance, uh, verse 6 says this, nations are in uproar, kingdoms fall, He lifts his voice, the earth melts. And so you see this picture here in verse six about how the political powers, the kingdoms of the the earth are in uproar. And and when the Lord speaks though, it's over. The earth, it melts. Uh, Another another verse here, uh, verse eight says, come and see what the Lord has done. The desolations he has brought on the earth. And so you see here this this way that God is, is ruling and judging the entire earth, not just part of it, but the entire earth. Uh, verse verse nine, we, we see this. It says, "Come, uh, he makes war cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the shields with fire. This is a verse I've been praying about the war in Ukraine, that he would make war cease to the ends of the earth. This is something, again, God is concerned about the whole earth. Or, or verse 10, we see it like this. Uh, Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. And so you see here several, several times this 
this concern that God has for the whole earth, because this is the truth we have, that God rules the world. Now today, as we, as we unpack this idea that God rules the world, as we see this in these, in these six verses, I'm going to start with, with unpacking this with a really simple, not very profound, pretty obvious um, point, because sometimes I feel like my job is really just to state the obvious. But you know, as we unpack this idea that God rules the world, let's start with a very obvious point here. And I'm going to use a, a line from a, a song that I learned as a kid in Sunday school. Maybe you know this line as well. But as we think about how God rules the world, let's think about this line here. Uh, we said it as kids in Sunday school. Um, God has the whole world in his hands. You know that line? God has the whole world in his hands. Now, I want to use this line because it, it uses a word there that, again, it's not very profound, but very obvious, but it's really helpful to say as you start thinking about the sovereignty of God, and that's the word whole. So God has the whole world in his hands. Not some of it, not just part of it, not just the good people, not just the religious part, not the spiritual part, but God has the entire world in his hands, that God's rule, his sovereignty extends over the entire world. Now, I know that's a, a pretty simple, obvious kind of thing to say, but that needs to be said because that's actually a pretty revolutionary thought. I mean, when the Bible was written, when this psalm was written, ancient Israel uh, was unique among the nations in that it believed that its God was the God over everything. Not just some things, but everything. Ancient thought and, and all of Israel's neighbors and all of the other people in the ancient world, they would have believed that there were gods or powers over all the little different parts of the world that they would have experienced with. So every mountain or river or valley would have had its own God, its own power, its own, its own authority. So if you imagine you're an, an ancient person and you lived next to a valley or you live next to a mountain or there's a river near your house, you would have uh, worshipped what you would have thought to be the God of that mountain or that valley or that river. But when Israel comes and the Lord uh, uh, reveals himself to Israel and shares who he is to Israel, he, he reveals that he's not just the God of, of that mountain or that valley or that river like the ancient people believed with all these gods over all these different geographical areas, but rather the revelation to Israel was that the Lord was the creator of everything. Not some things, but everything. As we read the New Testament, Colossians, it says that, that the Lord holds all things together. This is what God's revelation to Israel is, that it's, it's for everything. And so God is not the God of some mountain or some valley or some river like ancient people believed, but rather the Israelites, they believed that God was the ruler of every mountain and every valley and every river. This is the revelation that God's given to Israel. So Israel now is this witness to the nations that, that God is the, the ruler of all things, the ruler of the whole world. And of course, the way this eventually gets expressed into the world is when Jesus gives his life and invites everybody, all people from every nation, tribe, and tongue to come and experience salvation and live in obedience to him. It's for absolutely everyone. But this is a, a unique thing in place and time that Israel is expressing this belief that God is the ruler of the whole earth. Now, as modern people, we hear that and it sounds pretty simple. I mean, it's a pretty simple idea, right? Of course, God is the creator of everything. Of course, that's how it was, right? God made everything. There's one God who rules the heavens and the earth. And, and this is what we, what we believe. And so we get a little you know, judgy towards ancient people who believed that every you know, mountain or valley or river might have had its own God, its own power, its own authority that was to be worshipped. And we get judgy towards that. Uh, we call that idea polytheism, that there's all these gods who are all over the place that had to be worshipped. 
But I, I sometimes wonder if, you know, as modern people, as we look back at ancient people and judge them for how they thought there were these gods all over the place, I, I kind of wonder just a little bit if we don't do some of that same kind of behavior. We don't have some of the same kind of thoughts. Not that we believe that there's a God over every single mountain, valley, or river, or neighborhood, town, or grocery store, to use more modern language. It's, it's not that we believe that there's all these different gods out there, but, but rather, I, I wonder if, like ancient people, if sometimes we don't maybe limit the Lord's power and authority in our life and in the world, just like the ancient people did. Because that's the other side of believing that every mountain or valley or river has its own God, is you end up limiting the power and authority of the gods because that God is limited to that river or that mountain or that valley. And I, I sometimes wonder if, if we don't start to do that a little bit with the Lord, where we begin to limit the Lord's power and authority in our life and in the world to certain parts of our life. Let me show you what I mean. There's a phrase I'm sure you've used it because I've used it. We've all used it a ton. I don't judge anyone for this, for using this, but there's a phrase that we use to, to describe our lives. Um, you'll hear Christians use quite often to describe how they interact with God. And, and, and you'll hear Christians talk about what we call our, quote unquote, our spiritual life. You use that phrase, our spiritual life? What do we mean when we say that? Well, we, we mean this is the part of our life that interacts with God. It's our spiritual life. It's like our prayer life or our Bible study life or it's, it's our, it's our uh, way that we gauge how we're doing with the Lord. It's that part of life. And, and that's an interesting phrase as you think about what that implies because it implies that there's a part of your life that is spiritual and there must be therefore a part of your life that is not so spiritual. And the part of your life that is spiritual, well, that's where you interact with God but the parts that aren't so spiritual, God doesn't seem to have as much to do with those parts of our life. And this is how modern people live. I mean, a, a modern person, what we tend to do is we tend to think about our lives in different categories. We have our professional life. We have our relational life, our, our friendships, our, our marriage, our, our kids. We, we have our financial life, how we spend our money. We have we have our, our recreational life, our hobbies, how we vacation. We have our spiritual life over here. We have all these different kinds of, our, of, of life. And this is what modern people do is we tend to think about our lives in these different categories. This is why people talk about a work-life balance as if there's two different spheres of our lives that, that are separate from, from one another. This is how modern people think, that there's all these different categories um, of our life that we have. And, and if you think about it, this isn't so different than thinking that there's a God over every mountain, river, or valley because what you start to do is you start to see that the Lord has authority over a part of our life, which we call or tend to call our spiritual life. Now, when we do that and we have this part of our life that is where the Lord interacts with us, it's our prayer life, it's where we go to church, it's, it's uh, how we read the Bible, it's how we encounter God, it's this, this part of our life, what we tend to do is not see how the Lord is also active in all of these other parts of our life as well. And so we start to think that, well, I've got my spiritual life over here. That's what I do on Sunday. Maybe it's what I do when I read the Bible or when I pray or when I think about the Lord. But, but what does the Lord then have to say with, you know, my business life or how I spend my money or how I'm raising my kids or discipline them? How, how is that interact with my neighbors? And, and all of these kinds of things become distant from 
the way that God interacts. So a much more biblical way of thinking about this would to say, you know what? There's not all these different parts of our life, but rather, to use that phrase from the kids' Sunday school song, God has the whole world in his hands, including my whole life. There's not a part of my life that isn't connected to what God is doing in every other part of my life. So a a better way to think about this is to think, you know what, the decisions that I make at work, the ways that I interact with my neighbors, the ways that I spend my money or accumulate debt or think about how to pay for things, the ways that I treat my children, all of those things are also spiritual because God has the whole world in his hands. It's not just part of our lives that God is involved with. He's involved with every part of our life. Now let's step back and expand this thinking just a little bit more. Because as we said, it's not just that God has the whole world in his hands, not just the whole world, but also God has the whole world in his hands. Like he's got everything, not just my life, but he's got the whole world in his hands as well. And what happens a lot of times is we tend to think that God is only involved in certain parts of the world, just like we tend to think that God is only involved in certain parts of our life. God is involved in the spiritual parts of the world. God's involved in the church part of the world. This is where we find God, is when we're involved with other Christians, other faithful people and faith-based activities, and this is where we tend to find God. And, and we, we don't tend to think about, well, how is God involved in every other aspect of the world? How is God involved in, say, I don't know, the political part of the world? or the business part of the world, the economic part of the world. I mean, is, is God, if he's the ruler of the world, is he also the ruler of, say, the stock market, or hospitals, or the supply chains? I mean, as you start thinking about the whole world, you have to start recognizing that God has a role, has activity that he is involved with in the entire world, that there's nothing that's apart from his sovereignty, from his rule. Now, I think there's a couple reasons why we tend to not think about how God is involved in, say, the stock market for a few different reasons, two different reasons. One is in our own lives, we've already separated God from some of the other parts of our non-spiritual parts of our life. And so we just kind of extend that to the world. But another reason I think we do this is because sometimes when you look at the world and and you see what's happening in the world, it's hard to see how God is involved and God's rule and his sovereignty is being expressed in the world. I mean, take the war in Ukraine as an example. I mean, here's this tyrant who comes to power and he, he inflicts war on this other nation in order to control them. And, and you start to think to yourself, well, how is God sovereign when there's a war that's happening in Ukraine? Or take a natural disaster or the plight of the poor or injustice around the world. I mean, there's so many different ways you could see this. And you, and you start to wonder, how is God sovereign when, when this is happening in the world all around us? And, and it's easy, it's tempting, therefore, to become cynical of God's sovereignty and God's rule because it, you look at what's wrong in the world and you start to think, well, God must not be sovereign with all of these kinds of things happening in our life and in the world. And And really, this is the same question we ask of our own life, too. It's the same questions we ask of our own lives when things get out of control. Someone gets sick. Someone we love starts to make harmful, self-destructive choices. A relationship ends. Things start to get out of control. And you start to wonder, if God is sovereign, 
why are these things happening? And how do we deal with this? How do we understand this to say that God has the whole world in his hands, all of my life and all of the world together? How, how do we understand this? And this makes me think in the Bible about the story of Joseph. Do you remember the story of Joseph? Joseph is the great-grandson of Abraham. So it goes Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph. It's the stories in Genesis. And Joseph is, is one of 12 brothers. And Jacob, their father, he loves Joseph more than the brothers. That's how the story goes. It is a story of family dysfunction. I mean, Jacob, the dad, has, has like no qualm about it. He has no question. He favors Joseph. He lets everyone know Joseph is the favorite child. And for some of us, we hear that story. It's like, it's a little close to home because maybe mom or dad had a favorite kid and it wasn't, wasn't you. Well, that's, that's Joseph. Like, he is the favorite. The other brothers, they're not the favorite. The dad makes no question about it. He just shows favoritism to Joseph. And that causes all kinds of problems, as you can imagine, all the sibling rivalry that happens with, with 12 brothers. And because the 11 other brothers are, are jealous of Joseph, they, they make this plan that they're going to kill Joseph. And they go to all this, this detail and this work to kill Joseph. And, and eventually, right at the very end, as they're about to, to take this plan and, and, to, and to do it, the oldest brother, his name is Reuben, he's like, hold on, guys, hold on, hold on. This is a bad idea. This is bad. Let's pump the brakes on this. Let's not kill Joseph. And so instead, what they do is they beat him up, throw him into a pit, and then sell him to some slave traders. Now, just imagine how far Joseph has fallen. He went from the favorite son to being beaten up, thrown into a pit, and now he's sold as a slave. Now, he's sold as a slave into, into Egypt to a powerful man, and Joseph is capable, and he's responsible, and he's smart. And so over time, Joseph begins to rise in his, in his work, and he becomes noticed, and he becomes uh, entrusted with more and more work in the household that he's sold into until one day he's falsely accused of sexual assault, and now he's thrown into prison. And again, think about how far he's fallen. He goes from being the favorite of these sons to being beaten up, thrown into a pit, sold into slavery, starts to rise, but then now he gets falsely imprisoned. And imagine how Joseph would see the world. I mean, injustice after injustice. Injustice of being uh, beaten up by my brothers, the injustice of becoming a slave, and now the injustice of, of being falsely imprisoned. This is Joseph's life. It, it would be no question that when he looks at the world, all he would see are the things that are wrong. And he's right for that for that uh, viewpoint, because so much of bad things, so many bad things have happened to him, it's no question that he would see the world in that kind of way. Well, while he's imprisoned for, for a while, uh, falsely imprisoned for a while in Egypt, he slowly makes some friends with some other uh, uh, prisoners. And, and these prisoners, after a while, they are uh, uh, people who serve the Pharaoh. And so these prisoners are invited back into Pharaoh's uh, service and Eventually, after a while, these prisoners remember Joseph, who they met in prison, and so they mention him to Pharaoh, and Joseph also becomes a servant of Pharaoh, becomes, begins to serve him as well, and again, because he's smart and capable and responsible, he begins to rise in power and rise in authority because he gets entrusted with more and more things, and after a while, Joseph finds himself as the second most powerful person in Egypt, and, and he's given the direct responsibility of, of distributing food for the Egyptian people. Now, a severe drought happens, and then a famine takes place after this. And because Joseph has been so smart and so responsible, uh, he's able to care for the people of Egypt. And, 
And life after life after life after life is saved because of the position that Joseph found himself in. Now this famine is so severe, it's so hard, that uh, people from other nations begin to travel to Egypt. And so one day some travelers come. And these travelers come and they come face to face with Joseph asking for some help. And Joseph finds himself face to face with his 11 brothers. They're asking him for help. They don't recognize him as he's there. And if there's ever been a moment for sweet revenge, it's right now. Think about all of the pain that these brothers have caused. They sold him into slavery. They beat him up. He finds himself falsely imprisoned and he's had to serve other people. But because of this, thousands of lives have been saved. And so if there's ever been a moment for I told you so, it's right now. But, but I want to read to you what Joseph says to his brothers um, at, the, at the, this fateful meeting that day in Egypt. It's Genesis chapter 50, uh, verse 20. Joseph says this. He says, as for you, you meant evil against me. Of course you did. You sold me into slavery. I was falsely accused. I went to prison. All of these bad things happened to me. To the 11 brothers, you meant evil against me. But God meant it for good. To bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. You meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. Joseph experienced trial after trial after trial, suffering after suffering after suffering, but he has these eyes to see that even though he was going through hard times, God was doing something. He couldn't see it at the time, of course. I mean, he couldn't see it at the time when he's laying in the pit, or he couldn't see it at the time when the slave traders are taking him to Egypt, or he couldn't see it at the time when he's falsely accused. Like, he couldn't see it at the time, but he sees in the big picture you know what? God was actually using these times to put me in a position that was going to help life after life after life, including now the life of these um, 11 brothers. Joseph has what you might call eyes of faith, that he can see that God has been doing something greater than I can imagine, greater than I understand, greater than, than I can picture. God has been doing something in the background while, while I might have been suffering and I might have been experiencing this, God was able to use this for his purpose. This reminds me of that verse in Romans that gets misquoted and misapplied all the time. Romans chapter eight, verse 28. You might've heard it before. It goes like this. It says, we know that in all things, not some things, but all things, God works for the good of those who love him who have been called according to his purpose. Now, a lot of times we read that to say that God works good in my life all the time. That's not really what it says. What it really says is that God is able to take any and every situation and to use it for his good purpose. This is Joseph. Injustice after injustice, suffering after suffering, and yet God is able to use it for his purpose. God is able to redeem the evil. God is able to bring uh, beauty from ashes. God is able to turn mourning into dancing. God is able to turn deserts into rivers, graves into gardens. God is able to take any and every situation and use it for his good purpose. Why? Because he rules the world. He has the whole world in his hands. Now at times, it may not look like it. There are times 
when you wonder what God is doing, but the truth is with eyes of faith, we can begin to see that God is able to use any and every situation in my life and in the world for his good purpose. This is why when we face the world and we face our lives, we face challenges, our first instinct is to pray because we know that God is doing more than we know. God is able to bring redemption in ways that we don't see it. And when we have eyes of faith, one of the things that we recognize is that my entire life, that there's not an aspect of my life that is not being ruled by God. And there's not an aspect of this world that is not being ruled by God. And so I submit to him and I trust him. And when I understand this and I can view the world through eyes of faith, do you know what I'm able to say? I'm able to say this, that God is my refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. Let's pray together. And so, Father, today, we claim this verse, that you are our refuge and strength. You rule over the entire world. There is nothing that is outside of your view. There is nothing that is outside of your rule. And there are times where it looks like evil is in charge. It looks like things are going wrong, but we know that you are able to use it for good, for your good purposes. And so our life, our entire life is to be lived in submission to you because every aspect of who we are belongs to you. In the same way, we look at the world and we know that every aspect of the world, it is really yours. Everything here is spiritual. Nothing is outside of your view and your rule. And so God, we can face the world. We can face uncertainty. We can face suffering. We can face trials and trouble with the confidence of those who know that they can trust you because you are our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. And so for anyone who's with us today who doesn't know how to trust you, doesn't, hasn't crossed that line of faith to put their, their life in your hands, their entire life in your hands, Lord, the simple prayer, we, we, we turn to you in faith and we say this, Lord Jesus, would you forgive me my sins and would you lead my life, my entire life, to be lived for you. In the name of Jesus, our Savior, we pray today. Amen. Thanks everybody for a really, really good day of worship. We uh, really enjoy worshiping with you. Special thanks to Stephanie as always for keeping us connected, the worship team for leading us into God's presence. Thanks so much. Spencer for that encouraging message. We appreciate you. And if you know anybody who would benefit from this message, uh, need some encouragement, please, please share it on social media. Thanks for doing that. And we really look forward to you as we close this day to seeing you next week. Have a great week, but we'll see you back here next week for week three of God, Our Refuge. A mighty fortress is our God, a bulwark never fails. Our helper, he amid the flood, mortal ills prevailing. For still our ancient foe does seek to work us woe. His craft and power are great, 
and armed with cruel hate. On earth is not his and kindred. 